All right, folks, uh, for us, as uh, we remain uh, back here for a few minutes, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, continuing uh, in the series, uh, where uh, Jesus, along this journey to Jerusalem, uh, takes opportunities, teaching moments, um, to instruct all right, the disciples, but also uh, those who are, if you will, on the margins, uh, listening in, wondering, uh, could this truly be the Messiah? Is this someone uh, who is more than I think he is. And today we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, uh, but I'll get there in just a minute. Let's bow our heads with a word of prayer. We'll go from there. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that uh, we can't serve two masters. It would be much like trying to walk in two different directions at the same time. Your word reminds us that a house divided falls. And your word also reminds us that a house, if it's not built on the foundation of the rock, Christ himself, it's built on what we might call shifting sands. There's no foundation. So we continue to pray that as we open your word today, you help us understand in a sense as followers of Christ where we might find opportunities discover where you're at work join you as you change lives thank you for the privilege and the calling to come and follow Jesus and thank you for promising to teach us how to do so In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's put that quote up on the board, uh, if you would please. So, as seen in the Wall Street Journal, money is an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven. (laughs) And as a universal provider for everything except what? Happiness. Money is an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven and as a universal provider for everything except happiness. Perhaps the journal could have also added that money is a provoker of covetousness and competition. It is a wonderful servant, but it is a terrible master. Right? 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And 1 Peter 1 tells us that the pursuit of silver and gold is an empty way of life. But here's what strikes me about Jesus when he talks about money, and he talks about money a lot. What strikes me about Jesus and his teaching on money, when you read his parables, you're struck by the fact that as he had a great deal to say about money and material wealth and its place in our lives, he was often, more often than not, ministering to and talking to and teaching people who didn't have any. (laughs) You ever thought about that? The bulk of Jesus' conversations on money and its place in our life Those conversations, those teaching moments were given to people who didn't have anything. Why talk so much about money to people who don't have it? Because 
His audience were people just like us today who thought that by acquiring more wealth, more money, uh, more material goods, that, that acquisition would be the solution to all their problems, that it would deal with their loneliness, right? that it would deal with their anxieties, it would deal with their uncertainties. You can call it misplaced security. You can call it greed, selfishness. You can call it a scarcity mindset. Call it what you will, uh, but the accumulation will never replace the love and power of Christ Jesus and the lives of God's creation. Amen? Amen? Now, we know Jesus was not blind to the needs of the poor. All right. And by his example, uh, where he often met uh, those needs which were before him, uh, and his teaching, there was encouragement for the church to continue that practice around the world and across the ages. And the church has stood out around the world and across the ages as an institution and as a body of people who will meet the needs that are before them when they're able to meet those needs. And they'll meet them sacrificially if they must. All right. Thankfully, for the most part, the church does have a reputation of being there for those in a time of need. But for today, let's look at this story Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16, a story which we can call the right use of wealth, all right, the right use of wealth, and let's put it up on the board and we'll just, I'll go from there. All right, so this is the New Living Translation. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in, get in here, and said, what's this I hear? Get your report in order. You're fired. The manager thought to himself, now what am I going to do? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. <laughs> oh, I know, I, know, I know what I'll do. <laughs> I know what I'll do, and in doing what I'm going to do, I'm going to have plenty of friends who are going to give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first man, how much do you owe the boss? And the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot of oil, <laughs> olive oil, isn't it? So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons, 50% off right there. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels, 20% off, right? The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And Jesus says, it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. But here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. That is, you will be with them as well. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? 
No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And then there are the Pharisees, right? Kind of on the edge. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and scoffed at him. And then he said to them, You like to appear righteous and public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in God's sight. All right, so that's the setup. That's the context, the text for us. That's Luke chapter 16. If you want to have it in front of you on your smartphone or your tablet or look it up on um, the the Pew Bible in front of you, Uh, Luke chapter 16. What's a steward? A steward is a man or a woman who manages another's money or wealth, right? The steward does not own that wealth, but he or she has the privilege of taking care of it and using it as the owner requests it to be used for the profit of the owner, but also for the good the owner directs. And for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we believe that we are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And in this particular lesson, what's been entrusted to the people of God is the wealth of God. It's not ours. It's on loan, if you will. And we are responsible to him and how we use it. But the hard part of the steward's role, okay, is not coming up with ways to use it for good. Because the the ways to use it for good are always before us, right? There are needs all around us. The challenge for the steward, the challenge uh, for the guy or the gal, all right, is the hard part. The hard part, the challenge is remembering that all that we have is not actually ours, that what he or she is stewarding belongs to the owner. And in this case, today, the steward forgot what his role was and began to act like the owner. He had been wasting the owner's wealth and had gotten caught and eventually fired uh, for his financial malfeasance, right? Okay, so as you think about the text from Luke 16, you probably have picked up a little bit on where Jesus is headed uh, with this. He wants us to find ourselves in the story and be honest with ourselves uh, about where we are in our stewardship. But before we do that, let's remind ourselves what we, the people of God, steward, all right? I want to give you a, a couple of examples. This is not exhaustive, but it's just a few things. So first, the obvious, the one the text uses today is material wealth, all right? A lot or a little. How we got it and what we do with it, especially beyond, say, a tithe and, and an offering, Because in our understanding of biblical stewardship, uh, even if you did give 10%, God is still concerned with what we do with the remaining 90%. How we use it for ourselves, how we invest it, uh, how we give it to others. Uh, God is still concerned. And so the, the question comes up, do the people of God leverage the wealth of God for the good of others and to his glory? Or do the people of God leverage the wealth of God for their own use? You see, whether it's a widow's might or more, the question before the church is, are we stewarding well what has been entrusted to us financially speaking? Second, 
We're also stewards of time. You thought about that? Stewards of time. And I would say this is one of the most difficult things uh, to wrap your mind and, and life around, and that is uh, making most of the opportunities before us because we live in a world where it's 24-7, 365, right? <laughs> Unless you turn your phone off or, or leave it behind you and, I don't know, go out onto the ranch, right, where no one can reach you. <laughs> it's emails, it's text messages, it's phone calls. It's pop-up ads. I mean, right? The list goes on and on. It's appointments and blah, blah, blah. But in the case of the steward in the story, dishonest as he was, he actually used the opportunity before him in a wise way. And part of the reason for using this dishonest uh, dishonest steward in this parable is to get our attention, right? To help us understand the the significance of what it means for the people of God to make use of the opportunities that we have for the purposes of God. Now, the flip side can be where we don't have too much to do, we just try to do too much. Does that make sense? Living in this uh, performance-based society, uh, it puts this unholy pressure on us to be productive, to produce. Our perceived self-worth is is wrapped up in in what we accomplish. So we go to unholy lengths. So what do you do with the opportunities of time before you? You see, the the Christian is challenged not to think in times in terms of like just 24-7, right? But the Christian is, is called to think in time of time and a sense of eternity. That we approach time, we approach the way we steward it differently because we know that, uh, that, that this isn't all there is. So how would you use your time differently if you approached it with an eternity mindset? All right, third, we steward gifts and abilities and those gifts and abilities which are meant to serve others. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Have you ever thought about that? Each one of us is gifted in, in some singular way, and there's probably more. But at the very least, there is a singular gift for each one of us to use for the sake of the kingdom. It doesn't have to be used here in the church. It can be used out uh, where you work, where you shop, your neighborhood, your circle of friends. And do we use them to serve the purposes of the gospel? Are you stewarding the gifts God has given to you? Could you uh, write down an example just for yourself where you have recently been able to use a gift that God has given to you for the sake of someone else? Or do you have difficulty doing that? All right, lastly, we can say, and most importantly of all, we are stewards of the gospel. That's right, brothers and sisters, stewards of the gospel more than anything else. All right? 
more than finances, more than time, uh, more than our gifts and abilities. You and I are uh, called to steward well the gifts of the gospel. If you put these verses up here, uh, at a minimum, here are five different verses where the Apostle Paul and Jude talk about the gospel as the greatest treasure that we have as the people of God, as the church. That we are able to share with others the the reality of the forgiveness of sins, the reality of everlasting life in Christ, the reality that God is working in our lives today by the very power of His Holy Spirit for our good and for His purposes and plans. But Scripture calls the gospel the greatest treasure that the people of God have to steward for the good of others. Jude chapter 3, 4, or verses 3 and 4, sorry. Uh, simply speaks of Satan's attempt to rob us of the good news, right? And people don't attempt to rob us of anything unless it's of value, right? (laughs) So our most valuable possession today. So you can see then, even from a quick rundown, of a few of these things which we're called to steward. It's more than just money. And I didn't even get to some of these other things we're called to steward, uh, like stewarding relationships or stewarding our bodies and, and taking care of ourselves physically or stewarding creation around us, caring for, for God's earth. All right, let's go back to the wise steward, though, in verses 3 through 8. Mike's going to put it back up on the screen. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know. I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do, and it's going to give me plenty of friends who are going to help me out when I get fired. So he invites each person who owes him money. Let's talk about it. I'm going to help you out. I scratch your back, you scratch mine, right? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons, make it 400. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, make it 800 bushels of wheat, right? The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it's true, Jesus says, that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. It's one of the reasons why Jesus says, be as uh, innocent as a dove, yet as wise as a serpent, All right, Jesus is not commending the guy for being a crook, okay? I hope you didn't think that. He's not encouraging dishonesty among the flock, right? He's commending this guy for the opportune use of his time, for this wise use of opportunity. The children of the world seize the opportunity, Jesus says, but only because their vision is myopic, myopic. They see only today, and they don't have this vision of eternity that the church has. And so we tend to be slower to respond. (laughs) We tend not to have a sense of urgency like we're called to have a sense of urgency. But Jesus' point is that as the people of God with the vision of God in eternity, we should be able to make the best use of today and tomorrow. So what's the application? Well, first... Jesus challenges us to use our opportunities wisely. That's it. 
He challenges us to use our opportunities wisely for the sake of the kingdom. So uh, for the people of God, it means to use his wealth, what we've been entrusted with, use it wisely in the present for spiritual dividends in the future. But it also means that we take into consideration those other things that we steward. So that to the best of our ability, with the help of others, we use them for the kingdom. So, for example, we just don't donate money to some charitable cause and call it done. Instead, we find additional ways to invest in the work of the kingdom. So it may be your time. It may be your abilities. uh, It may be your position of influence. It may be your relationship, right? We find other ways to use what God has given us and leverage it for the kingdom. So, as I said earlier, we have a relationship which we are stewarding with Gooch Elementary. And one of the ways that we steward that relationship is we find volunteers to go and serve for an hour a week, right? And so that school knows that we care about the students and the administrators and teachers. We also provide breakfast for them once a year and so on and so forth. It doesn't cost us a lot, does it? It doesn't cost a volunteer a lot to give up 60 minutes of their day. So you can see how you can have an impact even with a minimal investment. So where are your opportunities? See, this is where where you kind of have to look in the mirror and ask the Holy Spirit to open your heart and mind to, to where are those opportunities for you individually? Because it could be finances, right? It could be relational. You could have a position of influence. It could be time. Where's God placed you? What abilities has he given you? Challenge yourself to give yourself an example of where you're able to make the most of opportunities before you to serve in the kingdom. If not, go to the Lord and ask the Lord to show you or, or to, to, to present that opportunity to you and, to, and to make your, wide, your eyes so wide open you can't miss it, right? All right, second, Jesus challenges us to be faithful in the way we use our material wealth, all right? He makes it clear that you cannot separate the spiritual from the material. I mean, look, Jesus talks a lot about money, more so than a lot of people um, give, uh, want to admit. But as I said earlier, you know, he's talking to people who don't have it and think acquiring it is going to solve their problems. But the rich think about money a lot too. Don't forget that. Why do they think about money a lot too? Well, they're thinking about how not to lose it, right? It can become all-consuming. Jesus's point is that money is not neutral. In fact, the Bible calls it the mammon of unrighteousness. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? The mammon of unrighteousness. And that only God can sanctify its use. So in your prayers, ask God to sanctify the use of your money. Ask God to sanctify the use of your time. Ask God to sanctify the use of your gifts and abilities. Ask God to sanctify the use of your position, your relationships. Finally, here's why money and the love of it and the failure to make the most of every opportunity is highlighted by Jesus in this story. And this is where Jesus says on 13, no one can serve two masters. 
For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You can't chase after the things of God and at the same time think that you can also chase after the things of the world. The idea is that as followers of Christ, we're called to be wholly uh, devoted to God and single-minded. As I said earlier, you can't walk at the same time in two different directions, right? (laughs) You can't take both. You can't go left and right at the same time there. All right, let's uh, put up that Henry Fielding quote. Oh, no, wait, wait, I got, okay. So Jesus says this, 631 through 33, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we eat? Why? Because that's what the pagans run after. And God knows that you and I, that we have these needs, and he knows how to meet these needs. So before we go chasing after trying to meet all these needs that we have, what do we do first? First, seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness, and then, then that stuff's going to come. Don't worry about it. These things will be given to you as well. So if God is our master, then money will be our servant, and we'll use our resources in the will of God. But if God is not our master, then we will become the servants of money, and money is a terrible master. Let me put up this quote from author Henry Fielding. He said this, make money your God and it will plague you like the devil. (laughs) Jesus said, make money your servant and use today's opportunities as investments in tomorrow's dividends. So, stewards, brothers and sisters in Christ, what opportunities will you make use of this week? In Jesus' name, amen.